The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover hope and healing from the other side. Welcome to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Listen, they're all around you, close as a thought or a memory. Messages of Hope. Messages of Hope. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to what I know is going to be one powerful and yet fun and then emotional show. My guest today is such a dear friend of mine. I love her with all my heart. She is one of my two assistants, Lynette Setzkorn. And many of you know Lynette. Anybody who's had a reading with me in the last year or so would know Lynette because she helps to schedule my readings. But she also has stepped in and saved me by helping to to administer this radio show for me and dealing with all the guests and really took a load off of me to help me focus on the mediumship. But, you know, I have to tell you that because she does the radio show preps, she puts the announcement on my Facebook page every week and she went and put an announcement about herself, which was a little bit awkward, I'm sure. And she wrote in there that she she's one of my assistants who plays second chair to the divine Bev Garlip. Now, we all know Bev Garlip is divine, but I went in and changed it once I saw that because I, I it slipped by me the first time. And I know that Bev would agree that Lynette is not second chair. They're both equally important and valued and loved. So so I'm the one that changed that post. And anybody that saw that beforehand, well, we just have to slap Lynette's hand because that is not how we view her. But why do I have Lynette on here today? Well, her writing was actually perfect. She says in her writing, uh, with a great work and a happy marriage to her soulmate, life seemed perfect. And then it wasn't. When both her husband and her father died at the end of 2012, grief was crushing. What came after heartbreak was life-changing in the most unexpected ways. Mediumship was the key to unlocking a spiritual awakening beyond anything she could ever have imagined. Now, isn't that enticing? And she wrote that. So right away, you know, she's a great writer. And it was Lynette's writing that brought us together. I'll tell you about that in just a second. I've done enough talking. Lynette, we want to hear your lovely voice. <laughs> well, <laughs> here I am. And thank you, Suzanne, uh, for inviting me on your show. I find it somewhat terrifying, but also quite an honor. So thank you. 
<laughs> you're welcome. And I love that the very first thing everybody just heard is your delightful laugh. I know you, you all will hear it several more times in this show, but if there's one thing that will open your heart about Lynette, it's her laugh, if not her beautiful, gorgeous smile and soul. So, Lynette, you came into my life, if you recall. We, we deliberately did not talk about this show in advance, everybody, because I wanted us to, to reminisce together live in the moment. And so we haven't talked about this in years, but I read a post on my official Facebook page this one day when I had written something about an article in the local paper by Billy Graham talking about mediumship in a very less than positive way. And I posted something on my Facebook page and I was reading all the comments and there was this long comment by this woman whose pen name and Lynette, you told me nothing is can I don't have to hold anything back. I don't have to hold Go anything ahead. back today. The comment was by this person on Facebook who dis, whose name was Big Ass Bell. <laughs> and so first of all, I'm saying, who is this woman? But her writing was astounding. It was gutsy, sassy, intelligent, witty, honest, and so filled with attitude that when I read it, I don't usually do this. I said, I have to connect with this woman. I have to find out who she is and just talk to her. So I don't remember. I think I put on Facebook, whoever you are, contact me or something. Do you remember how that went? I do remember that. You sent me an email actually through that blog, which was Big Ass Bell. It's no longer uh, someplace where I write. Um, But you sent me an email and I asked me to call you. But what you didn't know is that I <laughs> I have had a lifelong fear of psychics and mediums. My fear was always that I would, you know, come in contact with one and they might tell me that I was going to die. And since my fear of dying was something that, oh, my gosh, haunted me for decades, really until I encountered your work and became immersed in the words of Sanaya and in the healing that's evident in all of your teachings, it was with me forever. So when a, a medium, a psychic says, call me, it's like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to die. die. Is that what you thought? <laughs> That's what I thought. Oh, my and God. I really remember where I was. I was putting gas in my car at this little station around the corner from my old house in Tulsa. And I, I thought, okay, i got to do it. I've got to do it. It's Suzanne. I'd found your work about three or four months before as a result of my sister in Florida hearing you speak at some little metaphysical meeting. And she said, you have got to look up this woman. And it was actually either the day of or the day before the one-year anniversary of my husband's passing that I watched Messages of Hope. Mm. So that's how I encountered your work. So then when you said, call me, it's like, I'm not long for this world, and she's going to tell me. <laughs> you know what's funny, Lynette, is I remember exactly where I was when you called, I was in Estes Park, Colorado, traveling around the country, and I remember even sitting in my car in a parking lot. It's kind of like where were you were when Elvis died. Why is it we both remember that fateful <laughs> moment when we connected? <laughs> it is very strange. But you had something on your website at that time that said, if you are not in the most agonizing, unrelenting grief, this is how I read it, please do not request a reading. My waiting list is like a year long or something like that. And so I was like, oh, my gosh. There was no one I would rather have a reading with than Suzanne because I had actually gone to a spirit fair about six months before it and had my very first reading. So the fear the fear had somewhat reduced, you know, of encountering somebody who could connect with the other side. But when you said, call me, it all came flooding back. Oh, my gosh, here's death. But, but I called, and you said then, I'm looking at my waiting list, 
and I'm not finding you on it. So I told you why I wasn't on it, and you said, well, thank you for what you wrote about Billy Graham, blah, blah, blah. How would you like to have a reading? And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is like the answer to a prayer. And then I remembered a friend of my sister's in Florida who had lost his wife, and he was just, it had just ruined him. He was devastated. He could not get over it. It had been, I think, a couple of years at the time. And he was just really having a struggle. And so I said, what if we gave it to somebody else? And you said, okay. And then you hooked up with him and changed his life. So that was what was supposed to happen then. But I didn't get a reading with you. <laughs> I was so sad. But also, I mean, what a joy to help somebody else because it truly was transformational for him. Well, that's that's he, just your nature to help others. And I will let everybody know that ultimately, we, of course, we've made a beautiful connection with, with Mike and your husband. We'll talk yeah. about that later. I'm sorry about that, but that's just it was just beautiful. And I remember how he helped your, your friend, and he's become a dear friend as well. Yeah. Um do you remember the first time we met in person? I do. I, I do. I remember it was at a Sanaya channeling. I think it was, let's see, Mike died in 2012. I found you in 2013. So I'm thinking it was the summer after that. And it was when you were home for your mom's birthday. And mm-hmm. I walked in. We'd never met in person. And you hugged me. And what I remember is that you you put your arms around me. And then you pulled your hand back like you had touched a hot stove. And you just said under your breath, ooh, so much pain. That's yeah. what I remember. What do you remember? <laughs> that I I don't I remember you telling me that, and I remember that I wouldn't would never deliberately say anything hurtful to anyone. It was just a it was a compassionate statement. Yeah. You know, I could oh, just it just psych, psychically it just radiated off of you, and the hand going out was to send healing for that emotional right. pain. I knew nothing about you at the time. Right. Hmm. Right. Hmm. So, yeah, and Sanaya, the message that night, it could have been speaking just directly to me. It was amazing. And that happens so often with so many of us, you know, that that voice connects and it connects with something deep inside and then the change happens. Well, you, I can't credit all to Sanaya. I know it's your soul was just waiting for you to awaken, but um, we'll get to that in a minute. But I remember that ultimately I connected you with our dear Brenda, I talk about her so much on the show that Brenda also reached out to me after one of my events. And the more I emailed you and emailed Brenda, you both wrote these really long emails. And I said, these two (laughs) are meant for each other. They are meant to be soul sisters. And the, the one thing that linked you the most was that both of you had been raised by the same religion. And, and a spinoff of another religion. And um, you were, what stunned me was how both of you were raised to say this one statement from the time you were five years old. Do you remember? I, a poor, miserable sinner. Yes, I remember. It was emblazoned on my soul. It was like the mantra of hopelessness that I grew up with. Yeah, that's it. I don't know if you all caught, that's what she, that statement right there. Just how would you use that? Well, it was a confession, you know, I, a poor, miserable sinner, da-da-da-da-da. And ultimately, you know, there's the salvation of Jesus' sacrifice. But I never even got that far. What I heard was the hopelessness inherent in that statement. And that was what, and I'll just say right out, I was brought up Missouri Synod Lutheran, and I know that people find wonderful things within that church structure or any church structure, but that was not my experience. Mine was 
deeply traumatic and frightening, and it was something that I lived with from my earliest memories. And the reason that I know it was just me is because my sisters were also brought up in that, and they're unaffected by it. But for me, it Mm. was like the, um, I think it was actually, you know, I think spirit leaves us little breadcrumbs to kind of lead us along the path throughout life. Mm -hmm. And that, that really destructive religious experience was for me one of the motivations to begin to look at what else might be out there besides fear, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, do you want to talk about your formative years, your relationship with your parents? Do you want to talk about your career? Ultimately we'll get to the mediumship part and talking about the love of your life. Mike, what do you feel is best? Well, I had, I had two lovely parents and we lived, you know, in this, in a small town, my dad was a scientist at Conoco. My mother was a homemaker, and everything just seemed about as perfect as it could be. And then um, sometime when I was in about the third grade, my mother started experiencing these really severe episodes of depression. And um, ultimately, she was diagnosed as being bipolar. I think I know better now that it was probably PTSD. What had happened to her as a child um, some really awful abuse came to the fore and affected her in her forties and uh, she couldn't get past it. So Christmas of 1969, there's a couple of days before, I think it was December 21st. My parents were up one Sunday morning, like they always were. Daddy was making a fire. Mom was making breakfast. And of course we were going to go to church. So she left the room, and um, he thought she was going to get dressed. He heard his car start, and he looked out the kitchen window, and he saw her backing out the driveway. And he thought, didn't know where she was going, but it wasn't that unusual, you know, that she would go run an errand. But then he started looking around, and her purse was still in the house. And um, he went out to the utility room, looked in the garage, and he noticed that a gun cabinet he had, the drawer was open, and he discovered that a pistol he'd had forever was gone. So then he panicked. And what I remember about that Sunday morning is the sound of his voice on the phone when he called the police. You know, my dad was such a grown-up and so in charge and a brilliant man. And this is his birthday, by the way. (laughs) Oh, my. So happy birthday, Daddy. Oh, you mean today is? Yes, today. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Yeah, happy birthday. Daddy's birthday. Um. And I heard, just heard his voice shaking, and he said, my wife is gone, and she took a gun. And I was still in bed when I heard that. And I, I remember getting up, and I felt like I left like a part of me in the bed. It was so crazy. And then I got up, and I went out there. But everything changed from that point on. I mean, it was just, it was just devastating for our family. She wasn't ever found. Um, she has, is still the oldest missing persons case in Oklahoma. Although, of course, she'd be 102 also. (laughs) And I have heard from her through a medium. So um, I know she's not here in this world. But that was the turning point. Did you say you have or haven't heard from her through a medium? No, have had. Oh, yeah, I have had. That's a really an interesting story to me. Um, I don't know if you want to hear it now or it's uh, about me. That's where the first healing of mediumship started was with a reading that my sister had with a medium in Florida who brought through our mom. To that point, we didn't know whether she was alive or dead. The FBI looked for her, Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation. I mean, it was a big deal. It was like a, you know, a multi-state hunt for what happened to this nice, ordinary woman from Ponca City, Oklahoma. 
What year was that that you and your sister went to the medium in Florida? Um, I think it was 2000. I didn't go. My sister did. It was 2009, I remember, because Mike and I were on our way to Mexico. And she and her husband were out driving on a Sunday afternoon and just, you know, no destination in mind, just exploring Florida. And they happened into this place called Casadega Mm -hmm. and discovered it was a spiritualist camp. So those concepts weren't entirely foreign to us because my dad, surprisingly enough, in the 60s after his sister died, had gotten involved in metaphysics. Um, He started reading Edgar Cayce, Manuel Swedenborg, and Mm -hmm. my very rational left-brain father actually had a series of -of out-of-body experiences back then. So he, he told us that was my introduction to all of this and... He used to go to psychics for advice when my sister and I, after my mom leaving, we were pretty, pretty out of control. And he would go to this psychic (laughs) (laughs) to ask for advice on what to do about his girls. He was especially worried about my sister. So she was, she was overtly wild in his face wild while I was a sneaky one. (laughs) So he went to see this woman, Rosanna Hanning, uh, one Saturday, especially worried about Marjean and, uh, and Roseanne said, ooh, you really need to be worried about that girl. And he said, oh, I know it. And she said, that little brunette is a mess. And Daddy said, no, no, it's the blonde. And she said, oh, the one you have to worry about is the brunette. And that was me. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I was ratted out by a psychic when I was 15 years old. <laughs> so well, here what... he goes to this spiritualist. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's it. We, I want to hear how the medium changed things with your mom. Well, so they're walking around in Casadega, and there's a medium standing on the front porch of this little cottage, and she kind of beckons to Karen, and Karen walked in, and you know how you get quiet, and Sandra and the medium sat back in her chair and closed her eyes, and then she drew back, and she said, oh, my God, there's someone rushing at me, someone rushing to get to you. Mm-hmm. And that was my mother, and she wanted to explain herself and, and to apologize and to tell us that it wasn't about a lack of love. It was about her fear that she couldn't control what was going on in her own mind any longer. And she asked for us to forgive her, for each of us, you know, the three girls, to forgive her. And so we did that. We kind of did a little ritual, um, each one of us on our own, and, uh, and released her from any remaining, you know, ties about that event. That's and beautiful. And that was very healing. Wow. So, so, you know, I was still in my, my fear of mediums at that point, And I thought, I want to talk to my mom because I won't say I was her favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but, but we had a very special relationship. I was her baby. And, you know, she taught me all these things that she knew, all this little homemaker stuff. You know, she had me doing embroidery and sewing and cooking and stuff when I was like seven, eight years old. So we had a very close relationship. And I thought, well, I want to talk to my mom. Right. So I got up the courage a year later to uh, get in touch with that medium. And the first one through is not my mother. My mother was there, but she was standing behind the man who had so violently abused her as a child. And the one that I pretty much blamed for my whole family kind of cracking up for a period of time. And he was there to say that he was sorry and to explain himself. And could I forgive him? And, you know, the funny thing about that, Suzanne, is I always say, I said for a couple of years after that, well, my grandfather showed up and he wanted my forgiveness. And what I recognize now is that my grandfather was fine and he showed up as that expression, you know, that experience of being, you know, my grandfather so that I could forgive, so that I could be set free. He didn't need anything from me. He was fine. 
And I love I've heard you tell this story many times and it's so healing. And it's also important because you wanted to hear from your mother. You didn't want to hear from him, right? I know. No, no. (laughs) The last person I would have wanted to hear from. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But on the other hand, I had a healing that I didn't want by forgiving him and setting him free. I had a healing I didn't want, didn't expect, didn't plan for, wasn't looking for. Yeah. Well, and it proved to be, you know, really, really life-changing for me to let that go. That's awesome. So you, it, you went, you served a whole career in social work, serving people. You had such a big heart and some yeah. tough, tough cases you dealt with. Uh, did that sour you on people, how people hurt people? Well, it's, it's funny. I, I wrote recently about my superpower, and it's not something that is really a popular superpower in our society because we are, you know, we want justice. We want people to get their just desserts. We want, you know, sinners to be punished. We want bad things to happen to people who hurt others. And and I don't, I don't not feel that on some level, but, oh, I can't count the times I sat in interviews with people who had done terrible things, terrible things to children. The one who comes to mind is a young woman who had intentionally suffocated her daughter. And Mm. she recounted this um, series of events to us in just the most matter-of-fact tone. And I couldn't see it in her eyes, but there was something that I could connect with in her. And now I know that the light, we each have that light within us. It was in her. It was buried. Oh, my stars. It was buried so deeply, but it was in her. And I could sense that in her, even with that, that human affect, you know, of flatness talking about her daughter and what she did in the aftermath. And so um, I don't think it, it didn't sour me on people, but 20 years was enough. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So where were you spiritually when you and I met? Well, I had started reading, you know, when we met in person, you know, I'd been introduced to you. I'd started reading Sanaya. I had, I'm involved in 12 step programs or have been in my life. And, and in those, in those rooms, they talk about the different kinds of spiritual awakenings. Um, actually, you're familiar with William James, and one of the things that he talked about is uh, the difference between a spiritual awakening and a spiritual experience. And the awakening is generally slow, and it develops over time. And an experience is something sudden and spectacular, you know, just a sudden rearrangement. So they both lead to the same place, um, mm-hmm. but one takes more time. And so my awakening had begun probably with that introduction to 12-step programs and with the concept of there being, you being able to choose a God of your understanding mm-hmm. because my, my uh, relationship with God was difficult <laughs> to say the least. Mm. Um, so that was the beginning. And then I think in the nineties, I read conversations with God and some near death stuff and uh, you know, everyone read embraced by the light. And so it was like a slow evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike and I had a, a deeply, spiritual connection and we spent hours and hours and hours talking about God and what all that meant and you know our ourselves as imperfect humans and what all of that meant and how could we you know end up in 12-step programs and and still have good lives and it was just a, a process but after 
after he died and my dad died so close together, I was just, I was wrecked, you know, and, and I also had, uh, was dealing at the time with some issues related to Mike's death because he had pretty much died as a series of medical mistakes. And I was pretty angry and had some PTSD going on and could not seem to get past that. So when we met, I was still kind of in that for the first time. Yeah. Was he, how long were you married? Um, we were we were not married the whole time we were together, but we were as good as married from '92 until 2012 when he died. Mm. Oh wow, nice long time. And how would you describe yeah. your relationship? You know, it, it's it was just it was like magic from the beginning. Um, we just connected on a level that I I had never experienced with anyone in my life to that to that point. Um, I was like no. to tell this story the night before. The night before we went someplace, we went to a, an, actually an AA conference over in in uh, Hot Springs or not Hot Springs, Eureka Springs in Arkansas. And the night before we met, we went to play poker with some people from our group. And the last hand, the last hand, I was dealt a royal flush and heart. So for people who aren't poker players, that's impossible. It doesn't happen. <laughs> and all all the guys that were there at the table were like, "Oh, that's terrible. Shame on you. You took our money." And Mike's like, "Hey, that's wonderful." I knew then. <laughs> But there was something really different about him. Hmm. He was so kind and so loving. And my, my second experience of unconditional love, my mother being the first. Hmm. So it felt like coming home. To me, it felt like coming home, even though then I didn't know what the home I was looking for was the absolute perfect love that we experienced when we slip out of these meat suits. But for him, it was as close as it could get in human form. And it was lovely. We had a wonderful life. So when, we're going to go to a break in about a minute here, and you all have to come back because Lynette is going to share with you this spiritually transformative experience. She shared it before on the show when she and Brenda both came on oh, a year, almost two years ago. But uh, it's so worth telling again how you experience forgiveness from all of the trauma surrounding Mike's passing. And you're going to share that with us, right? I am. Okay. And I want to also ask you how mediumship has changed things with you regarding okay. Mike. Um, have you heard from him lately, by the way? He's present with me all the time. Um, the last I heard from him was a week ago when his mother died, and he came through, my friend Raven, with a message that she was there, and he and Brenda were cracking up because she was so shocked at the other people who were there. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, we can talk about this so matter-of-factly right now because you hang out with a bunch of mediums and healers, which I is do. just I'm so, so awesome. <laughs> so a shout-out yeah. to everybody, Raven and Sandy. I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, just uh, what a circle of friends you have now. So, everybody, please come back. In about three minutes, we are going to pick up with some really, really deep and beautiful spiritual discussions. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio.
the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. You're listening to Messages of Hope with Suzanne Giesman. Hi, everybody. We are enjoying a wonderful chat with my dear friend and assistant, Lynette. She's a part of the team here, the earthly team, working with the spirit team to help all of you know that life is eternal. You are a beautiful soul. And I love how Lynette is the one that puts it. You heard her in the last half hour say, these are just meat suits that we wear. She has a way of putting things. And if you don't know about her blog, we're going to talk about it later, but you have to make a note of this. It is and unexpectedmystic.com. She has the most wonderful way of writing and telling stories, so check it out. So, Lynette, we were talking about when the love of your life, Mike, passed, and there were some medical mistakes made, and you carried around a lot of anger for a while. Tell us what happened with that. Well, I will have to say that it was beyond anger. It was a rage unlike anything I have ever experienced. Um, Mike and I were uh, going to move to Mexico. We had a little house on the beach down there. I mean, it was a small house, but he had spent a year down there working on it and making it into this just a little jewel, and we were planning on spending the rest of our lives there, sitting on that beautiful porch overlooking the ocean, having our coffee in the mornings, and uh, he came home when uh, to help pack up all of our stuff to ship it out, and he was having some problems. Ultimately, he ended up in the hospital, and on one terrible, terrible night, we were alone in the ICU together. Um, I say alone. There was a nurse there. There was a respiratory therapist running in and out, but there was no doctor. And he was needing to be intubated. And, you know, the doctor was being paged over and over again, and he was not responding. And Mike was, I was just watching his oxygen level drop. And at about mm-hmm. about 33, he, he looked at me and his eyes went dead. And I thought, my God, he's died because I couldn't get help for him. And I went to the, I ran to the nurse's desk and I called the hospital operator and I said, send us some help. She said, you're calling from the ICU. I said, I know. And I need some help. My husband just, he just died because no one could come and help us. Hmm. So, um, I heard a door slam and I saw a man run into the room. It wasn't a doc, the doctor that I knew, but it was one who had come running up from the floors below as a result of my call to the operator. And um, they shoved me away, and I heard him call a code. So all I knew was that my husband was dead. It shouldn't have happened, and a doctor didn't show up when he was supposed to. <laughs> so they brought him back. You know, they did bring him back. But um, that I referenced my, t- my PTSD earlier, and that was the night that it started when I finally fell asleep after that whole crisis. I started having uh, these horrible, horrible visions of, of suffocating or drowning. I think I was reliving what he had gone through um, before mm-hmm. he went into arrest. And uh, that continued for a long time. He got out of the hospital. It, it destroyed his kidneys. So that ended our, our hopes of moving to Mexico. And uh, I was really struggling with that. And I didn't know how to get past it. I mean, I, I, I was unrecognizable to myself. I'm, I've had some wild years, but I was never a violent person. And I had these ongoing fantasies of wanting to kill that doctor <laughs> it was literally, I felt like literally. I was out of control in my own mind like literally yes I mean rich fantasies of, of how I would kill that man and uh, I was just I was so so overcome with this rage the injustice of it um, it just seemed so wrong you know that mm-hmm. 
Mike went in um, as a, a functioning man, and he came out in a condition where he had to be tied to dialysis three times a week, mm-hmm. which changed our lives as we knew it. So um, fast forward a year and a half, and, and he died. Also, as a result of uh, something that happened in the hospital, he was he acquired yes. a uh, resistant pneumonia that just swept through his lungs in a matter of about 24 hours, and that led okay. to his death. So that react, I I experienced some relief from the PTSD symptoms when I I got a medication from my doctor and it let me sleep. So that was that was a relief. But once he died, all of that rage just came back and. And he wasn't even there to talk about it with, you know, it, so it was just me and this anger. And anybody that knows yeah. you now, I've never, I, I see you get a little feisty about things and up in arms about things, but no rage. <laughs> so what, what took that away? I was driving across town on a beautiful spring afternoon. It was, uh, I had the top down on my little car and I was listening to NPR and my mind was replaying that loop as it always was of what happened and how wrong it was and how desperately I missed Mike. Um, and and the, there was something in the voice of the man that caught me. His name was Hector Black, and it was the Moth Radio Hour, and he was telling a story of his life. He'd been a civil rights activist um, and, and ultimately had come to adopt two little girls, and one of them um, had been robbed and raped and murdered in Atlanta. And when he said that, his voice cracked in a way that just made, I mean, I, it was like, everything let loose in me and I had to pull over I was crying so hard listening to him tell this story and so I'm sitting there with the sun on my head tears streaming down my face listening to this voice and as he talked about forgiving the man who killed his daughter and coming to love him visiting him in prison developing a relationship with him it was like there was a hinge on my skull Suzanne it was crazy the top of my head lifted open and this blackness just was lifted out. Mm, I could yeah, I could fun. see it. I mean, I couldn't see it, but I could I could see it in my mind. You know, how it, mm-hmm. it was unbelievable. And then as he finished his story, I felt peace for the first time, and I don't know how long. And that has never left me. And all of that rage, it's just gone. I can talk about that doctor. I can talk about the hospital. I can go to the hospital because that was an issue. Mm. Um, it's just gone. It was lifted out, lifted out. And that was magic. It was an STE, and I didn't yeah. ask for it. I didn't do anything to make it happen. It was just one of those gifts. And STE, for those of you who are new to this, is a spiritually transformative event. It's equivalent to a near-death experience, an NDE, but you don't have to die to have this awareness that there is something so much greater that we're part of. That was a healing, Lynette. It was. It was. And I've always, laughingly, I would say that they wouldn't actually give me an NDE because they'd never make me come back. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) But I've had a couple of STEs that have been really profound. So grateful. Wow. You want to, do you have another one that you can share? Well, this one, this one happened, uh, happened after that. I was, uh, I was reading two books. I was reading Lessons from the Light by Kenneth Ring and Tattoos on the Heart by Father Greg Boyle. And they're both just deeply, deeply moving. And I had gone to pick up a birthday dinner for my nephew at this Andalini's Pizza in Tulsa. And I was sitting in the waiting room on a Sunday afternoon watching all these people. It was just packed and everyone lost their skin. There wasn't any separation. There was this energy that I could see in between everyone that 
everybody was connected. There were these little um, little beings, but they were like paper dolls on this energy. They weren't. They didn't have a realness, and 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 it was just the, the sound changed. There was this feeling of intense love in the room, and I could I could see it. It was like I could mm. see the oneness. I could see that thing that. That is all of us, you know, we're just expressions mm. of magnificence, having human experiences here for learning, for fun, who knows why, lots of reasons. But I that's saw true. it, and oh my God, that was just stunning. That's that's one of those now-do-you-remember moments, and you remember. Yes. <laughs> do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember? When we walked oh. as one, that's from that's from uh, Journey of Remembrance, Shania's voice. Yep. And and you have definitely more and more and more you remember and, and and everybody there are times when I just can't answer my emails and and I'll say to Lynette you know tell them you're answering this but you speak for both of us because you're you're we're just on the same page we you know you've remembered and you just you have this knack of of just retouching people's hearts like I've never seen before. I remember a conversation we had on the phone. I remember where I was when I was talking to you. Why is that? But it was after Brenda <laughs> passed, and you two were so close, and you were there when she took her last breath. And you were okay at first because you knew that she was still with us. But right. you were having a really tough time, and you said to me, what's the point? Why am I still here? And she got to go home. You remember that? I do. And and you and I said it's for a reason and you were like, "Well, what is it?" You were just angry and and <laughs> and, and I said, "Let me ask." And I, I think I had to ask. I didn't get it instantly, but it was Do you remember? It was probably something like be in love, just be love. No, no, no. It was you're here. What? Your service is to write, to write, oh, to heal yeah. oh, others with the incredible way you put words together and that's why I, was, I wanted to bring up your blog again and unexpectedmystic.com everything you've learned spiritually you put it into these wonderful stories that you, you don't hold things back you get a little bit um, uncouth sometimes <laughs> but it, it mean just so emotional so beautiful and more and more people are finding you and it's just your you have that way with words, with the emails you write to our people that reach out to us and in your blog, and it's just incredible. Well, it's funny you would say that because I always try to put that out of my mind, but I heard that, oh, my gosh, like some of the first readings I had, you know, they'd say, he's showing you writing, Mike, he's showing you writing, he's showing you writing, like you're supposed to be writing, like, oh, my gosh, what am I supposed to write? I don't know what to write, and everyone's like, oh, write a book. But what do you write? And so finally, finally, Mike, I had a reading. Um, and Mike said, "You this is Mike, the technophobe, who never did anything with a computer. He said, you write things on the Internet and it helps people do more of that. So it's like, <laughs> okay, I finally will. I'd heard that over and over and over. Go ahead and do it. And so I am sporadic. I have so many posts in the work. There's so much to write about. I mean, the magic mm -hmm. that happens when we start to know who we are, when we, you know, begin to awaken, it's just stunning. And we could all just sit around and tell stories all day, all night, just endlessly, you know. And so I hope it's encouraging to people. I hope I hope I make it clear that I'm just just a regular person, you know. I call it an unexpected mystic because who knew? <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. Who knew you could but, be, you know, a, a little Lutheran girl, you know, turned wild woman, turned happy wife, and then um, come to a point where where I know the truth. That's the biggest magic that's ever happened to me. And what is the truth? The truth is that there is no place to be but here. Here, it's in a matter of awareness. I'm either in heaven or I'm in human, and sometimes I'm in between. But um, it's it's whether I'm in tune with my with the reality of me, which is the magnificence that we all come here as that that light. Um, that's that's the truth. Knowing who I am, really, because you know the, the Lutherans told me that I was I was worthless, um, had no value, was nothing but a sinner. And and to know that that was not true, that there's so much more to each one of us um, than just this human experience, that's that's been the life-changing thing. It's given me a self-love that evaded me my whole life. I mean, after my mom leaving, I you know, off and on, I was in therapy for decades, but this has just been transformational. I call it a radical self-love now. It's like, oh, I love even the mess of me. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I mean, you know what you know, and yet you have such endearing insecurities still. It just you know, cracks me up about everybody. Lynette does, you know, she's the one that put, you know, I play second chair to Bev, and I'm so nervous about coming on the show. And it's just, you know, because you don't want to talk about yourself, yet you're here because you can talk about love and who we are, and you know that's who you are. So it's just part of your charm. <laughs> You know, you you used to write that all the time in the beginning when I first found your work, Suzanne. You would say, it's all love, it's all love. And I would think, oh, that sounds nice, but really? I mean, how can that be? How can it just... But now I've experienced that. You know, I've sat in meditation where I have dissolved and, and I'm I'm just there in the vantage point of this this spark of consciousness, but in the sea of everything, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And it's still okay to be human and to to go through this human life as an imperfect being having experiences. um, I don't, our souls don't make a judgment on what happens to us here. Our souls don't. We do. Yeah. So it's interesting. You were like the last person I ever expected to go tent camping. But last year you bought a tent and a mattress and took your wonderful Mm -hmm. little dog, Deaf Betty, (laughs) and you went out camping on your own silent retreat, right? Tell tell me about, you know, these times, sometimes you just say, I'm checking out of the net, and you don't even go out in a tent. You just spend a couple days disconnected. Why did you do that, and what have you learned? Well, I have learned that in the silence I find myself, the real me, and I can, I can truly, I can hang up the Lynette story in the closet and just experience reality for a while. The reality of who I am, the love, um, that holiness, that sacred sense of, of self that gets lost in the day-to-day human life. Um, the first time I ever did it was the weekend of your first Serving Spirit class in Prescott, Arizona. And mm-hmm. I was at Brenda's house, and I had read this book called um, Lunch with Buddha by Roland Murillo, I think. It's a it's a novel, but it's really, there's so much in it. And he described a, a going into the silence for three days and having only tea for supper. And in that, he met up with his wife. Well, I wanted to meet up with Mike. So I'm having, um, you know, nothing but vegetables and tea for supper. And on my third day of doing that, I was in meditation and I experienced a hug from my husband. Mm. Fresh and warmth 
and the weight of his body, and I knew it was him. It was so intense that I reached out to hold him. Of course, he wasn't there, but, but the love was, and his presence mm. was. And that was uh, that was my first time. That doesn't that kind of thing doesn't happen every time. But I've had just to stop the mind. You know, it's so yeah. hard to just find silence in this world that we're bombarded by technology and and just racket at every every turn. And technology is an amazing connector and a huge boon to the whole spiritual community. But boy, checking out of it for some you know periodically is a good thing. So. So great advice for all of you listening. I mean, I'm the 24 hours I spent in the wilderness and, and same thing. You know, we have to disconnect to connect with our true self. And you have the luxury of doing that every so often. It's beautiful. It doesn't have to be three days. That was my first effort um, for a year or so after that. I did a day a week. Just made a huge difference. A you day know, a no week? No phone, no internet, no um I would have one thing that I could read for inspiration, but just lots of meditation and quiet. It's huge. Wow. You know, for people who say, I can't find, I can't find the connection. I can't find the connection. Well, shut everything off. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So tell me about your relationship with Mike now. When did it occur that you actually knew he's ongoing part of your life? And how does that look now? funny because you know for years I was just you know desperate to have um, his very obvious presence in my life but I have now such a such a security that there is no separation that I don't spend every day talking to him like I used to I don't I don't sit with him all the time but I I mean I I talk to him in my head about things that happen like oh my gosh did you see that owl Mike land on that tree outside the window you know and I know he did because he's right here it's just uh it's just constant because I know we can't be separated. We can't ever lose that love. Our 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 human suits delude us into thinking that they're gone, but they're not. They're right here. Brenda said that when she took her last breath and I told everyone she's gone and she popped in on you and said, I wasn't gone. I was right there. I kissed them on their head. <laughs> so coming to, to know that I don't, I'm not going anywhere when I quit breathing, I'm just going to a different level of awareness that has really uh, gone a long way toward relieving my wish to just join them all because, I mean, people just keep dying. My mother-in-law in the last week and my a dear friend two weeks before that, they just keep crossing over. And I've noticed that with these last two, I don't feel that that urge to go and join them. That's wonderful. Because, that is a and, I, and I don't feel left behind because I know they're here. I know they're all here. Yeah. Now, you trained to be a soul midwife. I did. I took death doula class out in San Diego with my dear friend, Raven. Um, you had her on your show a couple of weeks ago. As mm-hmm. a replay. Yeah, we went there and uh, and talked about dying because in contrast to my younger years when I lived in absolute terror of death, um, to me now it just, it's another transition. It's yeah, an, look at that. You know, I was thinking. <laughs> I mean, you, when I first reached out to you, oh, my God. You know, am I going to die? This terrible fear of dying. And now you're, you train in how to help people pass more. (laughs) It's wonderful. You're talking about a transformation. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And and that's another thing that I'm, I'm just real open about it. I know people get sick of it. One of my friends texted me, he said, why are you always talking about dying? And that's the very reason I talk about it because we don't talk about it. Hmm. We don't talk about it. And it's a certainty for all of us. And there is absolutely nothing to fear. 
I left a bunch of friends yesterday and flew home from Las Cruces to Atlanta, and I miss them. They're my soul sisters. And that's what it's like when our people die. We're not with them physically, but they are with us. You know, I can talk to them anytime. I can talk to my dead people anytime. I can talk to my friends, whether we're in physical proximity or not. Nothing has changed. We're still connected. The love doesn't ever die. I want everybody to listen to this show in the archives over and over and over. You're just (laughs) – you're tapping into every one of the key phrases that we need to get into our consciousness because this is truth with a capital T. Well, and I hope people will – you know, people who are grieving, it's not helpful to say – well, I'm just a whole lot better now and I'm not scared of dying and I talk to my dead people because the pain is there. But the pain the pain will heal over time. It takes time. That's a huge part of the recipe for recovering from grief. But the other part is, is to to work hard on education. You know, it's that slow spiritual awakening. What what is the truth? You know, we find people that we can trust who who can guide us. And I I think of them as those breadcrumbs that they throw down. You know, it might come from you. It might come from Gary Schwartz. It might come from Kenneth Ring. You know, just different things that that will snag a piece of our consciousness that knows the truth, and then it resonates inside, and that little ping, if we pay attention, that will grow. You know, oh, this is real. This this makes sense to me. This this I know is true. And over time, that that process, that process leads us to a place of peace. Amen. So I remember, you know, you talked about that first time I, I taught my serving spirit mediumship class in Prescott. You you had a silent retreat because Brenda, our friend, went was so excited about the class, but you were like, I'm not a medium. I'm not going to that class. And, <laughs> and eventually, I think you did eventually take the course, right? Yes, I remember you sitting in the front row oh, distracting yeah. me. Yes, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> but I remember saying to you at the Holy You Retreat, you are a medium and you're not doing readings for people. But everybody, you have to understand, as my scheduling assistant, there are many times when suddenly an opening will come up. I have time to do a reading and I'll just say, Lynette, go to the list and pick somebody. And she'll, she keeps control of the master waiting list, which unfortunately is now four years long. And you will tell what the process is and what happens. It's funny because I had a woman recently just say, why did you pick me today? Why did you pick me? And she emailed me like three or four times. Why did you pick me? And so I finally said, because as I was going down the list, your name kind of waggled at me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and? it's just funny how it works, how often it seems to be that it's, a, you know, an anniversary or a. That's exactly you know, right. Because I, I got to tell you, everybody, that lady, it was, I don't remember that specific, but it's like, that's their loved one's birthday or that's their loved one's angel date. It has happened more times than not. I mean, way many more times. It's, it's miraculous. You are guided. That's why I say you're a medium. You're connecting with those <laughs> in the spirit world without even knowing it. And they're whispering in your ear, pick me today, pick me, pick my loved one. Well, it, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I, I find it kind of remarkable because I don't feel anything at the time it's happening, except sometimes I'll get that vibration on the name. But but it's funny. Yeah. I guess I just feel like things ought to be more obvious. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing, too, that the signs from spirit are really, really subtle, very often very subtle. Sometimes they're great big in-your-face things, but they're often so subtle that we could miss them and we can certainly dismiss them if we don't pay attention. 
Yeah, and you've learned to to just know that that's a subtle nudging. That's the name. It it's kind of it lights up for you. It's so cool. The yeah. snags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Snags. Yeah. And and the snags are setups. You know, our people are already on it. They see like, you know, the the black cat coming down the street, and then I'm going to say the black cat with my sign, and there it is. But they already they're on it. They're guiding us. They're throwing those breadcrumbs down. Come on, come on. You know, it's going to be okay. Just follow the little <laughs> follow the little signs. It's going to be all right. Absolutely. Well, I have to tell you, something snagged me today, something I've never noticed when I do this show, no matter where I am, I do it from my computer, and uh, half of the screen is the engineer's board, and half of the screen is the Skype screen with a big clock ticking down, and I have never till today noticed that when we're on a live call, there's this little red heart on the lower right side that's been beating the whole time. It's just throbbing, 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 throbbing. And <laughs> I think it's so appropriate because today, anytime I talk to you, it's always about love. And this heart is just beating eternally, which is what yeah. your message is to everybody today. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, if, if there's any message that I want to spread to everyone, it's that love is all there is. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or any of that. You can learn to love yourself. You can learn to find that peace within. And in, in doing that, then you connect with the gigantic love that we're all a part of. And, and it's uh, everybody can do that, everyone. Some people don't know it's there. I know, I know. So with and, 30 and seconds to go. Okay. You know, if, if we don't do it right in this lifetime, it doesn't matter. That's, that's the great thing. You know, we take that last breath and then we're like, oh, wow. I wonder why I missed that. You know, I wonder why I didn't see that. And that's it. I said with 30 seconds to go, what do you want to say? And that's it exactly that ultimately we'll all find out. But when you can find out here by listening to things like you share and reading your blog and unexpectedmystic.com, then little by little we peel back the layers of the onion and find truth. And Thank you so joy. much. Yeah. Yeah. I love you, Lynette. Thank you for sharing with all of us. Thank you, Suzanne. I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.